Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, you're in the right place. This is Business of Design and I'm so glad you're here. We're going to talk a little bit about a flip side of a topic that has been on everybody's mind and that has to do with shrinking profit margins. And we know in some cases why our own profit margins are shifting, although I strongly maintain that it does not have to be that way. If you will follow the Business of Design 15 steps, you can enjoy profitability that puts you in the top 1% of earners. And I think you deserve that and you should definitely do that. But we're going to look at this issue also from the side of manufacturers who, like us, are struggling to stay relevant and they're struggling to stay in business. And although they make grand promises to us sometimes, like this is going to be a trade-only resource, we all know that when push comes to shove and that potential client walks through the door, whether or not that client is a design professional, usually they're going to get assistance and they're going to get help. Everything is happening at lightning speed these days because of digital disruption, and you all know that. Um, But ask yourself, have you ever tried to get the best possible deal on something? Have you ever tried to go direct to a supplier? You know, maybe you wanted to do a gift promotion for clients, for example, and you decided you didn't want to go to the local retailer and pay $30 uh, an item. Instead, you registered for the gift show in New York City at the Jacob Javits Center, which I have done before. You went there with your resale number, and sure enough, you were able to purchase these items direct from the manufacturer or supplier at a reduced cost. And if you've ever done that like I've done that, then you understand why clients are driven to do the same thing. If I want to attract paying customers, I can't rely on the fact that I can go direct to suppliers and manufacturers as a resource because quite often they can too. I need to rely instead on solid business strategies and project management skills and having relationships with trades. All of those things create a dream team situation that will attract certain clients to pay your fees. This week, I had clients go into a plumbing supply store um, to look at some of the products we had suggested they purchase. And I wasn't able to be with them. No one else on the design team was able to be with them. This is the third project we've done with them. And they knew exactly what they were going to look at. So off they went to the store to touch and feel things, which was all great. When they completed their visit, the salesperson sent them, not Kimberly Selden Design Group, but sent them a copy of their invoice. They sent it to me and said, here's what they gave us. I said, terrific. I assume this was retail pricing. I was wrong. When I went to reach out to the manufacturer to say, "What you know? remind me what our discount is because I want to let the clients know what they saved, she said, oh, I gave them your discount directly. Well, I just about lost my mind. You know, Luckily, I have tremendous restraint and I didn't tear a strip off her, but I said I really was unhappy about that and it put me in a terrible dilemma. So what I did is I, I hung up, everything was great. I phoned back to speak to the owner of the store and I said, here's the situation. Situation. By doing that, by giving my clients that documentation with pricing, it didn't say if it was retail, it didn't say it had the designer's discount in it. 
By doing that, it put me in a terrible position. The clients understand that designers get a discount, so they're expecting it. So I'm going to go back now to my clients and tell them that there's no further discount. They already gave you the discount. The problem with that is one of appearances. It sort of looks like there's a possibility. I'm just taking a little kickback behind the scenes. And I was really unhappy about being put in that situation. So the owner offered us an additional 5% off, which he suggested I just keep and not tell the client about. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, when is everybody going to learn that we're going to have to be transparent around pricing? Because if the client finds out that I get to keep an extra $1,500 that they don't know anything about, they're not going to be happy. Now, it's one thing if my contract states that I keep all design discounts, then fine. That is your right and you are entitled to do that. But this did put me in a really bad situation. So I had to ask the store to redo the paperwork, to send me an apology note, an email that I could share with my clients so they would understand what had happened and why I was unhappy about it. So in the end, it all got worked out, but you can't stop that type of thing from happening. What you can do is make sure that you have impeccable business practices and you know how to handle it when it does. We're going to hear from Leslie Carruthers. A lot of you know her from Facebook. Um, She's very busy in social media. And of course, she's got this company she's going to tell you about, Saver Partnerships, which produces e-publications for designers who want to go that route in marketing their business. So Leslie's going to tell you about that. I reached out to Leslie because very often I find on Facebook when designers kind of rally against manufacturers, Leslie will often present the manufacturer's side of things. And I thought that may be worth hearing about. Leslie kind of offers an olive branch whenever that conversation happens. And I think that's worth uh, exploring a little bit. Now, Leslie is also going to suggest that some of you may want to have your own e-commerce sites. And for some of you, that's going to be an awesome choice. I'm going to tell you that I have had experience with this. I had my own line of furniture for 15 years in Canada. It's And it was a fantastic manufacturer with real uh, integrity. The product was wonderful. Um, I did the design. I was paid for my design ideas and I was paid for the use of my name and my image and that was great and we had a wonderful run. However, the one downside is whenever a client receives a product that they don't like for whatever reason, something's not 100%, my office got the call. Because I'm a known face and a known name, I'm the one that got the call and we found that a little challenging to deal with. Now again, I was so lucky because Brentwood Classics um, always, always satisfy the customer at the end of the day. And it didn't happen very often. Um, But I've also done um, quite a few appearances on HSN, the Home Shopping Channel in the United States, and the Shopping Channel in Canada. And I can tell you it's the same thing. When you put your name on something and the customer has a complaint, you're the one that's going to get that call. And so be prepared if you're going to step into e-commerce. It's not quite as simple as having a little link on your page and everything is tickety-boo. Um, And certainly in the case with the shopping channels, far more difficult to manage the complaints, which might have had to do with shipping or handling, things I'm not even involved with, but still those complaints came to my office. So give that some thought before you just jump right into e-commerce for sure. 
Leslie also talks a bit about creating your own videos, which so many of you are doing successfully on Facebook and YouTube, and that's very exciting. And then she blows my mind because she talks about Pinterest, which is one of my favorite uh, social media outlets, and I think of it as my guilty little pleasure. And she talks about this idea of a rich pin. I will let Leslie explain what that is, but I was really grateful for her to share that tip with me. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Before we jump into the episode, a few quick announcements. So many are saying, hey, I'm going to be in High Point this week and you are too. When can we hang out? And the answer is 2 p.m. on Saturday, I will be part of a roundtable discussion at The Point that's going to be a business of design focus. So if you want to come and hang out with business of design community, it's Saturday at The Point. Hope to see you there. Uh, If you're in the LA area, we do have a meetup coming up on May 2nd, sponsored by Kravit. So thank you, Kravit, for that. It's going to be super fun, uh, casual group coaching, a little bit of alcohol, and uh, not too much because we want to get you back on the road before uh, traffic is crazy. And then on June 14th in New York City, we're having a big party. Uh, This is going to be a big, big party uh, with Fuego and with the interior design community, Lori Lazier will be there, and uh, maybe even designer Liberty and editor at large. So June 14th, New York City, there will be a limited number of tickets available. And as soon as we have the artwork, it'll be up on the site, businessofdesign.com. You're all invited. Let's do some FaceTime. And now back to the show. Hey, Leslie, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I have not seen you since, I don't know, I guess it's been a few years. I think we were at the same conference together at one point, and we actually got to meet in real life, as they say. Yes, exactly. And since then, of course, I see how active you are on social media. So you came to mind as someone I thought our listeners would love to know uh, more about what you do and love to know how what you do will impact their businesses going forward. And particularly, I guess, the, the subject on my mind is how is the traditional business landscape changing for interior design professionals? And what can we anticipate? What can we do to set ourselves ahead? And just start at the beginning. First of all, how do you see the landscape changing? Well, thanks, Kimberly. That's a question dear to my heart, as anybody who knows me and who's listening knows. But uh, I think as every interior designer who is listening knows, what's really going on, of course, is a huge digital disruption within everyone's businesses. And what I'd like to discuss really in depth today is how this is actually impacting the manufacturers 
who most designers rely on, of course, for the uh, beautiful products that they put into their clients' homes. And what's really going on for the manufacturers that hasn't ever really happened before is that they now have a way to sell directly to the consumer. They have multiple channels where they can sell their products directly to the consumer. And for every interior designer listening, you're saying, don't talk about that. I don't want to hear that. But we all know that that is true. So today, I'm going to talk about how you, if you're an interior designer listening, can really move your business powerfully forward, even through this digital disruption. So don't give up hope. Um, but first, let's go back to Let's go back to the manufacturers for a minute. So on the manufacturing side, they must, they must, or they risk going out of business completely, compete in the global marketplace, or if they are just a U.S.-based manufacturer not selling it internationally, they must compete in our national marketplace. And the consumer, including the luxury consumer, is really demanding that they be able to buy the products online directly. So we all know that that's what's really going on and the manufacturers may not even be happy about it. They may not want to sell their products directly online to the consumer, but they're being forced by market demand to do that or risk just becoming not just going out of business. So can I just interject right there and say that so often... um, So often, as a design professional, we're so focused on how this impacts us. And what you're saying is really important. There's another human being at the end of the manufacturer equation. And that human being is trying to stay relevant and trying to stay in business and is not out to get us, is not out to shortcut interior design professionals. That's really not what it's about because you can you can see that a lot uh, in social media, can't you, where designers say, I hate this particular manufacturer because they sold directly to my client, et cetera. But the reality is that manufacturer is just trying to stay in business exactly like we are, right? Exactly. And in our marketplace today, in the global online marketplace, it takes both sides understanding that. And this is, of course, for a lot of designers that do make a significant portion of their income from product sales, a disruptive paradigm shift going on. And we all know that. And I want to talk about that and how you, if you're the interior designer listening, can move your business forward through this uh, this year. But to your point, Kimberly, which is a great one, yes. You know, designers are dependent on manufacturers, obviously, um, and manufacturers are really struggling because they really appreciate designers' business for the most part. Designers have helped build their businesses for the most part, and if you're a designer slash retailer or just a retailer, retailers are struggling with the same thing. You know, in their minds, they're saying, gee, I've helped build this manufacturer's business. I've, you know, invested my money, floored their merchandise, et cetera, promoted it. And now they're selling direct to consumer. I hate you, manufacturer. And the manufacturer is quaking in their boots saying, don't hate us. We cannot risk going out of business because we are in business to make a profit, just like you are. We are in business to feed our employees, to feed our families, to keep them, you know, keep keep them going. So we have to respond to market demand. So manufacturers are really, they can't tell a designer that directly because, you know, they can't, um, but I'm telling 
every designer listening, that's what the manufacturers are feeling and would like to share with you, that they they appreciate you, they love you, and yet they have to develop processes that allow them to stay in business for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years and beyond. Right. And it's important for us to accept that and recognize that the train has already left the station and we're not going to bring it back to the way that it was. So now that we're here, um, you know, acceptance is the answer to all my problems. Now that we're here and I'm willing to accept it, what do I do next, Leslie, to put myself in the best position to be successful in 2018? Right. So I think that there are several different things you can do. Um, One of the top things, of course, is one of the things uh, for designers listening that are still making a lot of their income based on product sales is two things. One, of course, you can specify more antiques, which, of course, manufacturers aren't making. Um, you can also specify or develop your own private label lines. So there are many manufacturers empowering that now for designers. Um, if you all are interested in who's doing that, you know, just private message me somehow or Kimberly, and I'd be happy to give you a few names for manufacturers are doing that. But that's one way on the product side. And of course, you know, vintage is another word for, you know, antique or maybe not quite antique, but really focusing in on selling antique, one of a kind vintage items that are not being widely sold. Uh, by others that would compete against you, honestly, is one way that you can position your business so that you are still able to make your own profit margins, uh, appropriate profit margins on the products. And the Um, lovely thing about that is it puts a little soul in a room as well. I was having a conversation with uh, Brittany from the Vintage Rug Shop, and she's commented on the fact that when you bring these pieces into a room, uh, immediately the room is a one-of-a-kind room, and you're increasing the personality quotient of the room, or you're adding soul to the room. So that's that's a that's a wonderful thing to think about anyway, and I'll speak for myself and say sometimes I get really lazy, or I'm so busy and so overwhelmed, I don't have time to go to those little one-of shops and work as hard as I should for every single project to make sure that they have those special elements. So that is not dire bad news, that first point that you're sharing with everybody. That's just something we should be thinking about anyway. So I love that one. Exactly. And also supporting those. Here's one thing, too. A lot of small makers who make beautiful and exquisite pieces of furniture, art, accessories, lighting, etc. they actually can't yet afford, or do they want to, or do they have the time to, own their own direct e-commerce store. So when you can find a maker like that, that is still dependent upon designers for their business and actually doesn't have the means to do mass production, that's another a resource that designers, I feel like, should definitely get behind and support. And and those folks are still uh, able to provide designers with appropriate profit margins as well. And there are other advantages, of course, to shopping locally, right? I mean, you're keeping your neighborhoods thriving. You're keeping your, your next-door neighbors uh, employed and putting food on people's tables. So there's lots of wonderful reasons for you to shop those local makers. 
um, and really help them thrive as well. Definitely. Now, one thing to be aware of, though, and I think it's important, um, is that local makers will grow. So if you as a designer have supported a local maker and then all of a sudden, you know, they're able to have their own directed commerce shop and expand their selling abilities beyond the neighborhood or beyond, you know, a smaller network of designers, they will then become, in a way, you know, online competition for what you're bringing to your client. It's just important to realize that, you know, we all, every manufacturer started out small to begin with, and as they grow, they must, well, first of all, they must grow. That's, you know, that's their business imperative, and they will end up in this digital world we're living in, in, in some level of competition with you. Right. So the real question becomes, how do you counter that and how do you deal with that yourself on your own business side? But what a great thing to know that you've been part of building someone's small business into a medium business or a large business. And in my experience, when I've worked with companies that have gotten bigger, because I've been a good customer early on, they tend to have special rules for me and special allowances for me. So I suspect in the event you find yourself in that position, you can still carve out a niche or niche relationship with that manufacturer as they grow. So uh, really a good point as well. That's a great point, actually, Kimberly. And that's so true. And I think that's something that could be discussed even up front as you, if you are a designer that's able to give a small local person a lot of business, just say, I know you're going to grow. And as you grow, I know you're going to have to sell online. So just, just, Having that conversation up front and that communication up front and setting up special parameters, as you're mentioning, for yourself and your business, if you're going to be the one that's helping them grow, I think that's a great idea. In my particular um, business, my interior design business, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about clients shopping me because I tend to have those customers who have money but no time. Uh, often it's uh, two, you know two partners, both are employed full time, and they have kids, and they have a busy social life, and they have a cottage that they go to on the weekends. So they know what they want in terms of a home that's functional and beautifully designed, but they simply do not have time to do it. So is that another possibility for people listening? Like, really think about grooming those customers who don't want to lift a finger. That's my favorite favorite thing a customer says I don't want to do anything great I we're going to be we're going to be fast friends because I want to do it all absolutely and that's really uh, putting in place an intention regarding what your ideal client looks like correct Exactly. Yeah. And I, I sort of stumbled backwards into it. And I fa- in fact, I think the actual language of I don't want to lift a finger came from a business of design member who said that those are her favorite customers. And when she said it, I thought, Eureka, that is, that's it. I really do well when both people are working full time and they're just exhausted, but they can pay the bills, you know, <laughs> it's just awesome. <laughs> And that is, I think every designer listening is probably laughing and smiling right now and say, yes, yes, you know, that's the ideal client. But the reality is that's not always the client that is coming in, uh, you know, into our um, into our sales funnel or our system or it's, whatever. So you're, you're, how do you deal you're with absolutely those right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But isn't it true that if you are... Um, 
distinguishing yourself as someone who buys stuff, you're really selling your services short. I mean, that is not yes. why people are hiring you. So talk about that a little bit. Let's have a confidence boosting conversation with Leslie because she's good at this stuff. <laughs> well, I completely, completely believe this and have been talking about this uh, online for anyone that knows me forever uh, now because I firmly believe design is a way to elevate your life. Really excellent professional designers are not, they do sell products as part of what they do, but that's not really what they really do. What they really do is create a vision, an artistic vision in three dimensions, just like a regular two-dimensional artist creates that on canvas or on paper, a designer creates that in three dimensions in space, in a room, just like a sculptor. And I think if designers see themselves this way and understand themselves this way from the inside out at a deeper level and are able to articulate that and to present that online so that the potential client understands that about them, then the rest of it sort of falls away. So, you know, the truth is there are designers at different levels of expertise, of experience, of knowledge, and really the truth is of their ability to execute on an artistic vision. But for those who are truly who have that, who can take a look at a space and see a whole room completely in their mind's eye, and come up with a concept that's far beyond what even the client, who's even visually well-educated, could come up with themselves. That is a key differentiator that I believe every designer who can do that should really be putting forth uh, online on their websites. The other, there's, so there's many services, and of course, in this age of personalization, I think this is very important on your websites to do this. So break down the services you can offer. And I think many of you are probably doing this already, but if you're not, this is something you definitely can do in 2018 and beyond. So you have full service luxury interior design. And we know, we, we all know if you're an interior designer listening, you know what that looks like, but that's just one level of service that you can offer. There are many other levels of service that you might be able to offer that still allow you to express your artistry and your creativity but actually don't require such a big commitment on the part of the client if they're not quite ready to make that commitment yet. And this breaking down of services is one way that you can move away from product a bit as the driver of revenue to your business and more into providing the service that only you can provide. Another aspect of this, I believe, is project management. So some people that come to you, they may already have that vision completely in their head they've been on they've been everywhere online they've already put it together and they just need someone to execute on it so to me if I was a designer I would have and you wanted to do this and some of you don't want to do this but if you do and like to do it and are good at it just project management as a service offering alone I think would be a terrific revenue driver because many um people who really don't know anything about the project management end would, I think, want to hire a designer for that, as long as the designer was willing to let go of, of course, to let go of the creative aspect 
but that would be a great revenue driver, just that project management piece. Another level of that is purchasing. So let's say the client comes to you and they really do know what they want. They have all these products they want, but they really don't have the time to manage just that piece. They don't know anything about returns, refunds, you know, warehousing, getting it delivered properly, et cetera. And they don't want to mess with that. And they want you to handle that. So that whole purchasing piece could be another service that a designer offers. So I think what I hear you saying is that we have the opportunity to carve out the business that makes us excited, right? That, that turns our crank. So if you want to do everything and a full level of execution, great. That's what I want to do. But if you just want to do consultations in person, or you just want to do consultations by phone, or you want to carve out a business as a project manager, there are lots of ways that you can create the business of your dreams and sidestep in some of those instances you can sidestep all of the problems we're discussing with the shifting terrain of the manufacturer supplier designer relationship Um, so it goes back to again setting those intentions be clear about what it is you want to accomplish and I will say that we make as much money off our purchasing revenue stream as we do from design fees and it's, it's not insignificant that's for sure So um, I don't want to give the impression to anyone listening that you shouldn't touch product. Uh, Personally, I don't want to be involved in in projects where I don't have control of the product because then my name is on something um, in the world and I want to make sure it looks great. So when people come through that home and they say, who helped you do this? They don't say, oh, dear God, I'm going to avoid that person (laughs) in future. I want them to say, yay, how can I hire that person? But in addition... What I am actually saying is that if you can have these, all of these services on one website, so one, like for instance, you can really, you want to do full, you know, full service luxury design, but you could also offer these other services so that consumers could access you where they're comfortable accessing you. Right. So like a dim sum menu kind of thing, pick and choose what you like. Exactly. And in this way, you can create multiple revenue streams for yourself, overcome some of the loss of margin that's happening on the product side for many designers out there. Yeah, and I I would say we do projects in the United States and Canada. My my other office is in Los Angeles. We are not experiencing shrinking margins. We're just not. And so I would say there are ways to look at it, guys, that's different than how you're looking at it. And um, I think what's important is you don't want to go into this business feeling like you're a victim of things that are outside your control. Instead, you want to create a business model that thrives and is profitable. And that's why we have this podcast to help you do exactly that. So, Leslie, you have such great ideas. Is is it possible that you would give us maybe three, um, here are three things you want to think about, three big opportunities for 2018. What comes to mind when I ask you that? Yes. Well, one big opportunity that I see, of course, on your own websites is to become either a direct e-commerce merchant yourself and with your own private label products and others, and add in affiliate product marketing, which many, many, many designers are doing, as well as many major brands. This is what Domino Magazine is doing, and it's what House Beautiful is doing. 
So affiliate product marketing simply means that you are, and this is free to do from a, uh, from a signing up standpoint, you, some of you may know reward style, that's an affiliate, a very high-end affiliate marketing network, but these networks are pulling together merchants, and if you have a blog, newsletter, or website, you can put a link to a product that you believe in, and you can present that very beautifully. That's one of the things I'm doing with my new companies, helping designers do that, um, and present that very beautifully. And whenever someone clicks on your website to buy that product from your website, blog, newsletter, you're making a commission, which is deposited directly into your bank account. So direct e-com marketing, if you're not ready to do that yet, Affiliate product marketing is really the same thing, except you're just making less money and you're not having to handle all of the back-end aspects of direct e-com marketing. So that is a huge, 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 huge financial opportunity uh, that I see going forward for designers and really all, you know, all brands and creative professionals going forward. The second one that I really see is developing your own uh, video TV shows to uh, to broadcast on YouTube. So there are only some of you probably know them or maybe are them, but designers who have built up already huge audiences on YouTube with their own video shows. So I think this is something to really look at. We all know that video is where it's at when it comes to uh, everything happening digitally and online. So thinking about that strategically and how you can position yourself as the as a star in your own TV show on YouTube, uh, and YouTube is the second largest uh, search engine, um, you know, besides mm -hmm. Google. And of course, YouTube is owned by Google. So between Google and YouTube, I think that's a very good strategy from an SEO standpoint as well. Yeah. So I would say that is like a really big opportunity that I see those two. That one, I think we need to do a dedicated podcast on, just talk to people about what might make that successful. And then importantly, how does that translate into new clients? Because you don't want to find yourself just talking to your design friends. You really, I mean, most of us are doing that type of thing because we want to appeal to that customer who's ideal for us. So I think that's a great number two option for sure. Do you have a third option or I know I put you on the spot here. <laughs> well, I really feel the third option is to really, in terms of generating, you know, profits for your business, is to really take a good look at what you're doing with respect to using Pinterest. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, but I'm using Instagram, and everybody's using Instagram, and Instagram is a place where people are, but the truth is that consumers, those people who can buy your services and or buy products that you might have available are still using Pinterest uh, more than any other platform. And for most designers, um, Pinterest is still the number two driver of traffic to their website or blog. Oh, wow. So I would say, yes, it is true. So, and, and there are definitely designers who have gotten clients, a lot of them, you know, off of Instagram. So that is a potentially good way to get clients when you know how to use it properly. But I would say in terms of driving traffic, for sure, definitely in terms of driving traffic to a website or blog, so the people out there who are actively searching on 
Pinterest for home decor, anything, find you, Pinterest is still the number two driver of traffic other than your organic search. Cool. So I would say develop a strong Pinterest strategy. And again, I know a lot of designers have gone off Pinterest and are still sort of using Instagram, but consumers aren't using Instagram as much as they're using Pinterest. So having a strong Pinterest strategy using rich pins uh, would be something that I feel would be um, is something I feel is strong to look at for 2018. Using bridge pins, pins. Oh, sorry, it's called R I C H rich pins. Oh, rich P-I-N. pins. What's a rich yes. pin? I love Pinterest, and I don't know what a rich <laughs> pin is. So um, I've explained. So rich pins are simply a type of pin. And again, if you all that are listening, just to look, you know, just go Google what are rich pins and you'll see all about it. There's a million articles online about rich pins. Uh, But Pinterest allows for pins that have more text in them and link in different ways than the, uh, and they stand out in the Pinterest feed and drive more traffic. Very, they're very much proven to drive more traffic than just regular pins. Although regular pins can still work but rich pins really help you drive more traffic. And um, okay, you've given me homework I, now. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be diving into the rich <laughs> pin thing. I use Pinterest as my guilty little pleasure. I just, I just love Pinterest. But um, I, I've never thought about using it to attract clients. So I'm gonna do. The, I'm gonna check that out. I'm gonna do a little homework. Thanks to Leslie, and uh, that's awesome. I love I, the best best part of doing this podcast is I learn so much from smart people like you. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your business. Tell me about specifically about your business and how you work with interior design professionals. Thank, thank you for that opportunity. So I actually have two businesses and I'm going to, so the Kaleidoscope Partnership is a business that I've had for 15 years. I have done all kinds of digital marketing for interior designers and major brands and trade shows for the past eight years of my 15 years in business. But today I'd like to talk about my new business, which is a collaboration with Sam Henderson Sam is one of the Scripps Network's major content producers, and Scripps owns HGTV, the Food Network, the Travel Channel, et cetera. So we started a business called Save a Partnership, and we are producing magazine-quality, carefully curated e-publications that live on the websites of brands, designers, any type of creative professional, And that can, but don't have to contain either their direct e-commerce or their affiliate marketing links. And these publications can be layered into a website. This also includes newsletters. So we're creating these beautifully produced magazine quality e-newsletters, email opt-in giveaways, e-books, full online magazines, if it's a brand listening, catalogs, et cetera. And when you layer these in to a website, not only do they elevate the visual experience that your site visitors have with your brand, Mm -hmm. but when people click through on them because they're all clickable, they allow you to make additional income. And if you can grow your email list and you can grow the traffic to your site or blog in such a way uh, that it becomes significant, 
this can then become actually a sellable business asset. And that's what we want to really do is to try to help designers elevate the visual experience of their brand online in addition to creating passive income short term and then help them build into a sellable media asset long term. We are also um, managing complete e-newsletter campaigns. So we're designing custom templates and then taking over the total management of e-newsletters for designers and other creative professionals. And lastly, uh, to help with this, because really the key is to make money this way, you really have to be very consistent with it and you have to be able to drive traffic to your blog or your website. So we have a free Facebook group that anyone here listening is welcome to join. It's facebook.com forward slash groups with an S on the end, forward slash drive dot massive dot traffic. So that group today is still small and only has about 400 members or so, but we are hoping to grow that. And we are providing tips every single day about how to grow your website and blog traffic. So that would be a great thing, Kimberly, for your, you know, for your readers to join up and just, you know, really learn and, and meet other designers who are doing it successfully. And there's wonderful designers in there who have done it and are doing it successfully, who are sharing what they know. So it's, it's become a really great uh, lots of great energy, very giving energy. In that Amazing. Group. And we will have a link to the Facebook page as well. So it'll make it easy for you guys to find it and to find Leslie, of course. We like to end every podcast with design intervention. So you feel free to go d- to, to dig deep and find a, uh, it doesn't have to be uh, on topic. It doesn't have to be on the topic we're on right now, but it's a piece of actionable advice you think would be extremely helpful to that interior design professional who Who's listening? It might be something someone shared with you years ago that changed your business life, um, and and nobody's ever prepared for this. We just kind of throw it at them because sometimes the very first thing you think of is is really valuable and helpful. So, what would you share today as design intervention, Leslie? Well, there's like five things that come to mind, but um, <laughs> we so like overachievers two. here. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. I think it is. Own your niche. Uh, from an SEO search engine optimization standpoint, it's very important to own a niche. Maybe your niche is Scandinavian modern design. Own that niche and develop all of your content around that niche. That will absolutely help establish you in the mind of the consumer and also help you with your search engine optimization. Um, The second piece is if you're a designer that has a retail location or if you have an office outside of your home, make sure that you optimize yourself for Google Maps, M-A-P-S, Google Maps, because right now most of us are searching for everything on our mobile phones Mm -hmm. and that's getting smaller with our watches that we're wearing. And when you go to your mobile phone, even right now, just go search yourself or go search, you know, interior designer, you know, Los Angeles, and you'll see that the very first thing that comes up on a mobile phone are the ads from Google that people are paying for. And the second thing is that map. You have to actually scroll down to see any kind of organic search result. They're returning their paid advertisers first, and then they're returning the map. And there's all kinds of good free information online about how to optimize for the map, but you have to have a 
Google account and verify yourself as having that place and then go in and optimize for that because that is a key for SEO in the future beyond anything else because our screens are getting so much smaller. I love that. Great advice. I'd never heard that one about the map. So now I have another piece of homework, thanks to Leslie. I don't mind, though. I don't mind. I know it's going to be fruitful, and I've admired your career, and I've admired uh, the way that you talk uh, to industry professionals and the um, the kind of olive branch of peace you bring between the manufacturer supplier side and that interior designer side. We we all stand to gain so much by working together and having respect for one another's challenges. Um, so thank you, Leslie, for being that powerful voice in the industry, and thank you for taking time to do this. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to your listeners and for all of you out there. Thank you so much for taking your time to listen to this today. I hope it's been helpful to you. And I just really look forward to um, answering any questions you might have in our group and or in any other place that you know might be available. Thanks so much, Kimberly. I really appreciate what you said and I hope you have a great 2018 in your own business. Aw, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.